of of bit bit perspectives. The taboo of apostasy is so deep. It's a bit like it's a bit like being gay. Most gay people grow up in in, in a society where, from a very young age, they're told that the norm is a man and a woman, and everybody else is bizarre. Ex-Muslims grow up in the same sort of environments where they're told from a very young age that everyone should be a Muslim, anyway. But if you're born into Islam, you're essentially born into privilege. So why would you leave? Hi, listeners. Welcome to the second episode of the OP podcast. The last soundbite was from an interview conducted by the Economist with a female Muslim apostate. In our last episode with Muslim interfaith activist Mr. Imran. He brought that renouncing one's faith during the medieval times was seen as an act of treason against the state, since empires were then divided along religious lines. With religious empires already out of the picture today, apostasy or converting to another faith still nonetheless remains as taboo to speak of in the Muslim community. After all, to belong to a faith often means being part of a bigger community and culture when you share similar beliefs and practice certain rituals when you are growing up. Then the challenge status quo certainly brings forth some resistance. For this week on OP, we speak to two Muslim apostates to learn more about their experience living Islam. First, we speak to Mary, a lady in her late twenties, brought up in a Malay Muslim household, left the Muslim faith in 2013, but only officially removed her name from Mawis, the Islamic Religious Council of Singapore, in 2018. It was a gradual process for Mary after she learned more about her own faith and that of other religions, alongside personal life factors that led to her eventual choice to fully renounce her faith. She currently identifies as a non-believer in anything and everything. As our interviewee does not want her identity to be known, her pseudonym is Mary, and her voice has been edited in this podcast. There was no big. Thing that led me to leaving it. I guess I had never truly deeply believed, even though I thought I did.、Um, I thought I was a pious Muslim. You know,、uh, I prayed five times a day, for example,、uh, and I did the whole month of fasting.、Um, but then eventually, I realized that I was trying to find all the loopholes to get out of those things. And that made me think that maybe you know I don't actually believe. And then I stopped doing all these things, and it started. And then you know.、Um, You just well for me. I just started to think more and more about it, and I learned more about religion, not just Islam, but you know all the other religions in the world,、um, or rather the major ones.、Um, and I just concluded that it was just not something I wanted to believe in.、Um, that's how I shared my faith. As in, you know, that was kind of the process, and you know there are other factors contributing to this process. But there was no one big moment where I realized, aha, I don't believe anymore. How did your family find out about it? <laughs> well,、um, actually, our relationship had been strained for a while already,、uh, mainly because I couldn't conform to the way they wanted me to act, you know, in a good girl, you know, in a Muslim sense.、Um, so I had actually left home, and、um, well, my sister knew because I told her once that I don't believe. Um, and after I left home, and I suppose I guess my mom was quite upset, and my sister, in an attempts to you know soothe her and explain why 
probably my mom was asking, oh, why is she doing this? And my sister probably said, oh, it's because she doesn't believe in Islam. So that's how my mom found out. Um, and I guess she eventually told my father. And then when I saw my brother uh, a few years later, I told him that I just don't believe. And that's how the family found out. <laughs> so currently, how are you and your family relations? Um, we tried to repair it, but then certain life decisions that I had to make, so for example, getting married, etc., um, did not meet with as much enthusiasm as, you know, as normal people will usually express. Um, and with those decisions came more expectations for me to turn back, you know, uh, into the right path. And even before all these decisions, during the reparation stages, where we tried to be civil to each other and rebuild this relationship, it was always, you know, the underlying message was always you have to come back home, you have to become a Muslim again for us to be a happy family. Um, yeah, so it, yeah, so our relationship is strange at best. Do you feel the Malay and Muslim identity in Singapore is very enmeshed? Yes, unfortunately. It's definitely bad because, I mean, these are completely separate things. One is religion and one is a race or culture, however you look at it. And to synonymize these two things is bad because then anybody who wants to break out of it, you can't because then you lose the other part of your identity. I mean, race is you no, know, it's something that most of the time you're just born with or you grew up in, right? And it's a culture that you choose to participate in. As is religion, most of the time for Malays, you're, you're raised in a Muslim environment with, with expectations to be a Muslim. So when you choose not to do one of these, then most of the time, well in this case, if you choose to not be a Muslim, then certain things that are cultural, for example, celebrating Hari Raya, which is kind of, has become cultural, but it is actually a religious thing, right? So then you're just, uh, is it, um, do you celebrate this? You know, because it is part of my culture. You don't celebrate it for, the, for religious reasons, but you celebrate it for your family. Um, then there are these questions that arise and nobody has the guts to talk about it and um, challenge these, um, you know, cultural norms or expectations or whatever. Um, so yeah, so then nobody can escape. <laughs> I'm proud to be Malay. I can't say that, you know, I'm the most cultural or traditional person. Um, I mean, I don't cook their stuff. I don't, you know, I don't speak it on a daily basis besides with my family. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still consider myself Malay. But when I say that, I would, I mean, it's a totally different discussion. I would consider myself Malay when somebody asks. I don't think, I don't define myself as Malay because that's another discussion, right? Um, because you know, it's just easier for people to identify me and put me in a box as Malay when they ask what are you rather than explain that I'm not, you know, I don't participate in any particular culture but that's a different <laughs> How do you feel about Singapore's handling of religious affairs? Because we have lots of different religions and, and races in Singapore Do you feel that we are secular or not so much? Um, I think the government tries its best, although it could try a bit harder. 
um, they they do try to promote well religious harmony, um, but in doing that, they are simply tiptoeing around religious organizations, and they're not protecting the individual needs of its citizens. Um, well, maybe because the majority are part of these organizations and the ones who want to escape are seen as the rebels. When, when you say protecting individual needs, you mean those that would like to leave their organized religion? Yeah. Well, in this case, it's specifically people who want to leave the Muslim religion uh, that I know. How do you feel they can better protect Muslims who would like to leave their faith? Make it a known thing. Uh, for example, you know, don't hide it because there are people, there are many people who leave, but they're not shown, right? There are many people who convert into different religions, but this is never portrayed. All you ever see are people who convert into Islam, but you never see anybody who is Malay who has converted into another religion. And that's if, and they would never do that just because they consider it such a blasphemy and um, there would be too much um, bad response, negative response from the Malay Muslim community because you know, I think they're just afraid of what would happen, of what could happen. Um, and maybe it's not just because of our Malay, Malay Muslim community here, maybe it's because of Malaysia and Indonesia that's around us. It's a lot bigger. Um, so yeah, and I know that, for example, thesis papers, um, if you want to write these um, around ex-Muslims specifically or apostasy, it's such a sensitive topic that the people are doctored because, you know, the, the government, well, you know, the, the school is not allowed to publish any thesis that is too sensitive, you know, you kind of have to soften the approach or soften the angle that you're writing about. Yeah, and you know, because a lot of, I mean, everybody, most people love their family, right? Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of their reasons, I think, would stem from these from family and community reasons. They don't want to disappoint their parents and family. Uh, they don't want to deal with, you know, the rift that will come about um, if they leave it publicly. Um, they don't think it's worth it because they're happy just living a closeted life, you know, because they still get to do what they want outside of their home and they just have to pretend and put back their, you know, their Muslim hat when they come home or in front of their family and friends. So, yeah, it's um, mostly, there would be, yeah, there would be no other reason why you would not de openly declare this. Um, in Singapore, fortunately, we, we can rule out the fear. Uh, I mean, some people are obviously afraid, but that fortunately, we do not face for now. Uh, what is your thoughts on state enforcing or banning of the hijab, maybe in terms of like schools or u uniform occupations or like public areas? Like this is an issue faced maybe in, in Singapore or even in like the West, in America, in, uh, in Europe also? Yeah. Well, I think it's very fair for the government to uh, enforce this because if you say that you are secular and if you are um, and if you enter public spaces um, or rather public institutions uh, such as schools or you know um, military or I don't know civil service offices for example there are rules and there are uniforms and it's not a uniform if you can alter it based on your personal preferences or personal beliefs 
So if you say you are secular, then by all means make everyone equal and the same. And you know, if you have a loophole where you say I believe in this certain ideology and therefore I want to put on this extra piece of clothing or I do not want to put on this extra piece of clothing, then that's not very secular anymore, is it? Yeah, I think it's quite uh, interesting because different countries have like different approaches. Like in Singapore, the Sikhs, they are allowed to wear their uh, turban in the uniform groups, but they say that there are reasons behind that, different takes on the same issue. Yeah. Have you ever felt pressured to don the hijab or to cover up your body in the past? Cover up my body, yes. Wear the hijab, no. Um, so I was not allowed to wear singlets, for example, tank tops, things that reveals your shoulders or your armpits um, and things that are too much above the knees. Do you try to defy your parents? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they... Uh, well, we got into a lot of arguments for that. I found ways around it. So for example, I would wear these ugly tights that go below the knee when I get out of the house and then, you know, in the lift I would take them off and coming home I would put them back on or put a shawl when I'm leaving the house but then I would remove it as I'm, you know, once I'm out. Uh, so yeah, I obviously, <laughs> I did not obey those rules. Um, but because I was living under their house, under their roof, I had to, you know, abide by these rules. But there are always ways around. What were some loopholes you, you found that made you question your faith? Um, so, you know, for example, so the loopholes were that if you are menstruating, you don't need to do these things. And I would just simply say that, ah, oh, my menstruation has not ended. And therefore, I didn't need to do all these things for as long as I could. So in the past, when you prayed, do you know why you prayed as a young girl? Uh, or you just prayed because it was something you became used to in life? I did it because I had to. Or I thought I had to. Because I thought I believed in this religion. And for me, if you believe in something, or if you believe in an entity, or an institution, or a, or a, or a way of life, when there are rules, you just do it. So. You know, the rules were that you have to pray and you have to do all these things, so I just did it. Do you feel in Singapore it's easier to come out as a Muslim apostate compared to other countries? Uh, compared to Malaysia, for example, yes. <laughs> There's a lesser chance of people hunting you down and, you know, trying to threaten you in your life, for example. But compared to the West, like let's say the US or like the UK, it depends on the community you live in. Uh, I know that there are communities in the US, for example, where they are so tight-knit, um, it would still be hard for them to get out. Also in the UK, for example, actually I think the, co uh, the community of ex-Muslims you know, probably started in Britain. Um, there, the Muslim communities are so tight um, that it's just as good as never having left their original country. So they are very strict on one another. Mm. They police one another. Um, so it's, it's just as hard leaving. Mm. If you talk to a Malay Muslim now in, Singap in Singapore and you happen to tell them that you are no longer a Muslim, how would they usually react? The friends that I have who are Malay Muslim and they know that I'm not a believer, they are perfectly accepting of it 
Yeah, nobody questions it. Do you feel uh, Islam compared to other faiths that are more desired by the community to intertwine religion with legal rules? Uh, I wouldn't say it's just Islam. I mean, Christianity is very intertwined with a lot of countries' um, uh, government and their lawmaking, and nobody bets an eye on that. It's just that Islam is a lot in the spotlight now, uh, so it's a very sensitive topic. Um, so when people call for Muslim laws or to or Islamic laws to be applied to you know secular or governmental laws or country laws, people are then you know because of Islamophobia, because of the reaction against Islamophobia, uh, there is a lot of reaction and there's a lot of attention on this. Every religion wants to be on top, right? Um, so I would not say that the religion itself is at fault, it's the people. Uh, what are your thoughts on feminist boycotting Nike and other brands for coming up with Muslim female-friendly clothes like the hijab sportswear or the bikini, which is the swimwear which covers your whole body and your hair? Well, I think they're fighting the wrong people because these businesses are just doing it because there is a demand for it. And if you're a real feminist, you would believe in the right of everybody to wear whatever they want. Um, so, you know, the root of people wanting to put this on, if they say that it is oppression, um, it does not lie with Nike or Adidas or these brands, because the, these brands are just doing what's best for their business. So they just, uh, I mean, you know, I understand why they're doing it, but I just think they have their focus all wrong. Everybody has a right to choose. What is your view on the term feminism and do you identify as a feminist? Well, my view on what feminism is is kind of similar to what my view on life as general is, which is that everybody has the right to choose. Um, and also, you know, there's um, equality and whatever, but still, it all boils down to personal choice. So where this has to manifest is the protection of personal freedom so once you have that for women and men they can all choose to make their own choices whether you know for example if they want to stay at home and you know be a stay-at-home wife for example as long as that is a personal choice that they could make 100% by themselves go for it as long as the personal choice is protected um, for me that's what feminism and you know, my life view is it feels as though you you emphasize a lot on individual freedom and rights. Yeah. That's influenced by your experience after leaving the faith? Um, probably my experience leaving the faith because you know I've had to question a lot on um, my life more my, my morals and my life philosophy and my principles. Um, with religion and I see why a lot of, you know, it's, it's, it's very attractive to many people. Um, it helps you guide your life, you know, because there are rules that tell you what you should or should not do. And once you take this away, you kind of have to figure it out on your own. You know, because I can't come up with uh, 10 constituents for myself to live by. Um, so I just, you know, I concluded that as long as we all have our freedom to make our choices, it's kind of the basis I kind of live by. Uh, have you gained or learned something from your previous Muslim identity which still uh, with, with, with you as of now? Uh, 
I think so. I mean, because I spent the bulk of my life as a Muslim, uh, which means that I spent a lot of it using Muslim ideals to live my life by. And it's not it's not a terrible religion, right? Because there are, I mean, as with most religions, the stuff that they say are kind of common sense. Um, so now I don't I don't think that I use. Um, I don't consciously use Muslim rules to live my life by, but there are of course a lot of, um, uh, if you want to find similarities, you could always, you know, because I want to be a good person, for example, and every religion will say you have to be a good person. So there will, of, there will definitely be uh, similarities, but I wouldn't say that I live by any certain rules that I discovered back in my Muslim days. Do you, do you have any final thoughts on the whole interview so far? Like anything you would, you would like to share but you didn't get the chance to? Yeah, I mean, all I... Maybe if I have to disclaim that I'm not against Islam as a religion or any religion, um, all I want is the freedom to, you know, um, which I do have now, but I want... I want it to be more accepted, to be more normal, um, and not as uh, not for the, for example, the government to hide under the rug, and not for people to be embarrassed to talk about it, or for people to be um, offended for us to talk about this. Um, you know, because I mean, probably it's more okay for me to talk about rather than, for example, you or you to talk about. I just want it to be okay for all of us to participate in this discussion. Uh, which I don't think it is right now. But I think it will take a lot, a long time. Yeah, as long as there's still a lot of Islamophobia, there's going to be a lot of reaction against it. There's going to be a lot of defensiveness. Once that goes, then we can start to celebrate people who leave the religion. Mm. So we need to start accepting and celebrating the people who leave the religion, and probably through, like you said, media mm. as a start. Um, yeah, before there can be official support groups for that. And one final question. Would you have done anything differently nine years back? No. <laughs> I'm happy where I ended up, so it's, um, I don't look back and cry over what's been done. Next up, we speak to Faizi, an Indian ex-Muslim in his mid-twenties. As he enjoyed reading growing up, his intellectual curiosity led him to ponder on the validity of his own faith. His religious obligations soon also became a question mark to him. Though he makes it known on his social media pages, he has nonetheless remained a closeted atheist to his family for the past two years, without legally renouncing his faith. I think when I was growing up, right, so when I was very young, I had like science and encyclopedia and stuff, but my mother also gave me like Islamic books. Yeah, I read through them and then I did my religious duties, but I had the question in my mind. I, I, I feel like I never really believed in God. I think I just practiced the religion because that's what I was born into and that's what my mother taught me to do and I just kind of go with the flow, I guess. So one time when I was praying, I had this thought, like, what if God doesn't want me to do this? So I, I think I stopped praying. La. And then I learned more about God. And I realized, you know, God, there's a possibility that God doesn't exist. So I see like similarities between like religions. I feel like religion is just a man-made thing. 
that people used to explain their lives. Um, I mean, time went on lah. I think from that point in the prayer that I had that doubt. Okay lah, there are some good stories in the Quran, in the Bible, like teach you about morality and stuff. But I mean, they are largely just stories lah. Like if you read the Eliad, right? It's the same thing. The Eliad gives you morals, but we don't say that Eliad came from like Zeus or Jupiter. You know, like what makes the Quran or the Bible come from God? Like, how can you say that? Because there's no actually evidence in those things, and the words that the Quran uses, right, are very vague in a lot of places, and it's very repetitive. That's when I decided that, yeah, Islam is definitely not. I mean, in fact. There's very little chance that God exists. Since then, I've been reading more about like religions and God, and even about science. If you want to understand the world, you have to read widely. So I try to do that as much as possible. Yeah. And and then uh, sometimes when like an uh, individual choose to criticize on some religious i- ideas, yeah, it might be perceived as being Islamophobic. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on this? So. The first thing that people need to realize, right, is that you cannot take your ideas um, personally because your ideas actually came from somewhere. The truth is that criticizing ideas, right, is uh, actually the safe thing to do. Like when ideas are not criticized, then you have like dangerous things like radicalism, phobia. I guess is largely justified. The reason is because, I mean, in the news, like you see a lot of like terrorism, and I mean, most of them are Muslims. The reason is because some people say that Islam is young religion. Uh, like when Christianity was young, it also persecuted people. So you know, Islam is just going through that phase. But you see, the reason why like religion has to be criticized is because religion actually forces you to accept uh, a set of beliefs as like dog. Uh, so like, it encourages adherence to dogmatism. But you know, when as society. I guess as society progresses, as in in terms of knowledge, actually, then you realize that you know what you once held as normal is not, uh, is not actually good lah. Like for example, slavery, in the past slavery is normal, but then, you know, a few hundred years ago, then like people realize that you know slavery is evil, and today it's uh, mostly illegal. And the reason is because criticism of ideas is allowed, but in religions in general, right, you cannot. You cannot criticize the idea because it's from God. But in truth, um, if you want to believe in God, whatever. But like, do you have any evidence for God? And if you just give like fallacious reasoning, and then you believe in God, you know, for some emotional reason, then that's your personal problem. Why do you have to impose on others uh, your religion? You know, why do you have to? Why do you have to defend your religion? Because if it has to be defended, right? That means there's things wrong with it, lah. Then you were men- mentioning about uh, them defending on their ideas. Yeah. Me- meaning to say, I mean like apologetics lah. They try to come up with uh, arguments to make their religion be sustainable in the modern world. But so a lot of the arguments they use, they they cherry pick. Which cherry picking is something that a lot of religious people do. I mean, in fact, like even when they are practicing religion, not just arguing for it, they cherry pick. I think that religion enforces 
set of rules so if you want society to behave in a certain way then you know you can say that you know like we all came from uh, god who created the earth and heaven and if you do bad things you will go to hell after you die like this this feeds preys on people's fear because um humans are afraid of the unknown or uh, definitely so i guess religion is a way to un- uh, explain the unknown so when that happens when you have an explanation of unknown then you can like control people and whether that's good or bad yeah that's one argu- that's one huge argument by itself lah yeah you consider yourself a closeted ex muslim yeah actually i do publicly say like on my social media but i don't tell my family because or some of the muslims i know because yeah my my actually i once told my mom lah then she just like cry and then like say some like she to tell me to like say the shahada so the shahada is the is like the first pillar of islam so when you say the shahada is is a testament that is like a allegiance to to your religion like to god and muhammad uh yeah so i said just said that lah when people grew up with an idea that okay this is how the world works like god created us like muhammad is the final prophet of god not just for islam but for any idea i guess when you when you are so personally attached that you spend a lot of your time doing like thinking and behaving the way that you think that that's what god wants you to do it's very hard for you to accept that you know the idea that god doesn't exist i mean even for me i think that was quite hard then uh what were some barriers that you faced when you tried to leave your faith or was it very smooth Okay so I did not re- legally renounce Islam in Singapore because like the the government gives you benefits for being a Muslim I mean it's like if you are Chinese then you get funding from CDC if you are Indian I think there's Sinda then for Muslims there's like um, what's the Mendaki yeah so I mean if I'm not a Muslim I can I I cannot get funding from Mendaki I cannot continue my studies so that's why I never legally renounce Islam I mean I don't really care lah. I mean whatever the law says I I mean if you think me as a muslim or non-muslim I don't care. So I do like enjoy those I guess benefits. Barriers I think in terms of leaving Islam right. So for a lot of people um religion is like a community. When you go to church then you uh, meet people and then when you go to more same thing you also meet people then maybe you make friends. And then when you leave the if you leave the religion right then maybe you know how it's very hard for you to in your mind right think that okay there's no god or i don't believe in muhammad and then go to the mosque at the same time you know that it's very hard uh, on you and i personally know that it's very hard to live in a family that's strict and then they ask you to like pray every time because prayer is a basic like fundamental of islam so um it's very hard lah to live in a community where everyone is like different from you and then for people who are thinking of leaving they will be ostracized by their entire community i just took the decision that i don't really care like even if i'm like the only person in the world who accepts this idea then so be it i try to i mean the truth right is very is elusive for everybody but i try to stay as true to what is reality lah barriers other than that the uh, ostracism from community legal legal i guess issues i think in terms of okay so when you are brought up with an idea all your life and then you know you practice it for someone like me i i pra- i really believed and practiced 
so when I want to leave it was very hard and then like I had a lot of moments where okay basically you don't you just feel depressed lah and then because you know it's something that you did all your life and then suddenly it comes crashing down on you that okay maybe what you thought was not uh, you know it's not true the, there's like emotional like baggage with that Yeah. Was it somewhat like a identity crisis? Um, I don't think it's identity crisis. I think it's just that I mean I hold these views dearly, and then I practice them. But now uh, I realize that it's different. So what do I do now? You know, maybe like you know, I mean, I even like think of committing suicide because this is something that you do all your life while, and then you're exposed to something different. And then I'm like, hey, you know, maybe this is this feels right. And then you don't feel like living anymore because you don't know what to do with your life anymore. So confusion. Yeah, confusion, and there's like cognitive uh, dissonance as I had for a few years. So I'm thinking one thing, but then my actions like are religious. Like I perform prayers, but in my mind I'm like doubtful. Like these Islamic uh, jurisprudence, you know, these some of these laws don't really make sense. Are are these things really from God or are they just like written down by people? But I, you know, I'm still continuing to like fast and like um, believe in God at least, continuing to pray. So, yeah, cognitive dissonance there. What changes do you hope to see for the ex-Muslim community in Singapore? Uh, I want to say that not just in Singapore but all around the world. I want people to understand that teaching your children one form of religion, right, like Islam, and then like this is how you do it. Uh, you know, I mean, there's many sects within Islam, so. Uh, teaching them one sect and then ignoring other points of view like uh, other points of view about the world like Buddhism then there's other kinds of philosophy there's Christianity there's basically there's a lot of arguments about how the world works and you know if you teach them one kind of view right then you're oppressing them you're actually committing child abuse because this is similar to Depriving a child of food, like in that you are depriving them of knowledge, you are depriving them of other viewpoints about how the world may work. Um, yeah, so I feel that parents should be to teach them multiple, just like how you give, you try to give your child many kinds of food, like as possible, uh, you know, like fruits and then vegetables, I guess, and then meat and then things like that. Just you, you try to give them happiness from like different sources. If you are taught one point of view, right, then you are going to grow up thinking that's correct. So if I want to see any change in the world, then I want parents to be more understanding of why it is right parenthood. Yeah. Like exposing their like child to different yeah. points to let them form their own thoughts, lah. Yeah, correct. I know that people think that your children are going to hell if um they don't subscribe to your own religion. But how are you so sure, right, that your religion is right? Have you like even studied like other kinds of viewpoints? So. I mean, do you really realize that you have your own biases? No, a lot of people don't realize that. If I were to have a child, then if he were to become a Christian, or I would teach him like you know the kinds of religions I would know. I would try to learn myself and tell him like you know like look, there's different kinds of people. Some people believe like Jesus is died for our sins on the cross. Some people believe that Muhammad is like the last messenger of God. I mean, there's there's so many kind of arguments, right? As much as possible, should be giving your child an accurate picture of the world, which includes its many diverse viewpoints. Yeah. And then, uh, lastly, is there anything you miss about practicing on on your Muslim faith in the past? 
sometimes I do listen to the Quran because like the recitation of the Quran is nice. Um, I change the way I live. Like I don't pray five times anymore. I mean, it's it's a hard thing to do. Um, yeah, I don't really miss it lah because I mean, as I said, I try to look at the world objectively as much as possible. And you know, if something I feel is doubtful, then why should I be? Why should I be? Continue to practice that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Thank you, Faizi, for sharing your your thoughts. We hope that you have a great day ahead. Thank you very much.